How are we doing tonight? Oh, wow. That was weak. How are we doing tonight? Yeah, that's what I like to hear. Um, so I have a couple announcements. Uh, we have number one is Young at Heart, the second Thursday of every month. This Thursday, this Thursday at 1 p.m. in the church commons for seniors 55 or older. I might be dressing up. might be putting some gray hair. Maybe gray beard. Hey, hey. Um, might be going to that. Seems fun. We also have the LC. LC will host and present one wintry night in Italy with special guest singer Josiah Mullins. Um, I hope I'm saying that right. I'm sorry. Sorry if I, I'm, I'm not. Uh, on December 2nd at 6 p.m. with uh, in the Student Ministry Building, we will be having special fundraiser fundraiser for the Step of Faith to purchase two and a half. Uh, acres of land in the Philippines for a training center. Come on. Ooh, that's exciting, isn't it? Um, and you guys can um, give any time. Um, you just write it on your notes or online. Or, I don't know, however you want to do it. Um, uh, tickets are on sale for $22 for a single and $40 for a couple. Tickets are will be available in the foyer. And then one more. Uh, this is a new one. I passed it on with Daniel, so he approved it. So I won't get in trouble. Uh, for, tamales for Area 51. Uh, 
for the youth group. Um, my mom, she's special and makes them every year. They're the best. You can ask uh, Pastor Kevin. I think Miss Pastor Rebecca, uh, um, Pastor Karen. I mean, has had them. Um, and then Trevor, he's always asking, and Noah Garner. So you can ask them how good they are. Uh, we will be doing thirty dollars uh, for a dozen uh, with salsa. You'll get salsa with that too. And if you want more salsa, we can give you more salsa. And then we'll be starting that this month. Uh, we'll uh, we'll start um, getting uh, your uh, pre-orders pre-orders for this month, and you'll get them on December December seventeenth. So you'll have them right around Christmas. You know, you can yeah, you can leave some for Santa. You know what I'm saying? I'm just kidding. Uh, but they're amazing. You don't have to take my word, but they're awesome. I'm thankful. Thank you for that. And uh, let's go right into offering. Woo! Yes. A reminder, Vision 2025 is a giving program to raise the money to pay off all of our buildings and, and be debt-free by 2025. Glory to God. Yes. Yes. You can also write that on the envelope behind you or online or on the app, however you do it. But... Um, I just wanted to say, and regarding offering and our faith, like I was reading Romans 4, chapter 4, and I think it was verse uh, 13, uh, 19 actually. Well, it talks on verse 13, but it talks how uh, Abraham's faith and how he was walking in faith and uh, how when people were basically just negative towards him and Sarah, how they weren't able, they weren't going to be able to have a baby or have a baby because how old they were. But in spite of that, it says on verse 19 in the Passion Translation, it says, in spite of being nearly 100 years old when the promises of having a son was, was made, his faith was so strong that it could not be undermined by the fact that he and Sarah were incapable of conceiving a child. He never stopped believing God's promise, for he, he was made strong in his faith to father a child. And because he was mighty in faith and convinced that God had all the power needed to fulfill his promises, Abraham glorified God. And God came through. God, God always comes through in, in our promises, you know, in his promises. And we need to walk with that faith. Walk with that faith with uh, and in, in the purpose that he's called you on this earth with that faith, with that um, joy and kindness that he's shown us and that we don't have to live by the law because Jesus had fulfilled that already. We don't have to live in that religious thought that Pastor Kevin has been teaching the last couple of Sundays. I mean, I'm fired up just listening because it's so it, it's opening my eyes and and I'm hoping it's opening your eyes, too, because it's it's so good. We don't have to live by our, our works or, or that we have to be good or we have to love. It's not a have to. It's a need to. And God has shown us the love and faith that we need to walk in. And I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful because now I've realized that the purpose that I have on this earth, it will come to pass. And I have faith in that. And I'm going to walk with that faith throughout my life. And whatever circumstance comes in my, in my life, whatever 
where it comes and attacks me, it will come to pass because I know God will get me through that. And I think with everybody, every one of us, we got to walk in that faith that what, what Abraham was walking in, that faith that he believed God will, will kept his promise. You guys know what I'm saying? So um, I'm very thankful. Um, and for your offering, you can do it online. You can do it with the envelope seat back behind you uh, on your app, church app, or just give in the bucket behind. And, yeah, let's give it up for Pastor Kevin. All right, well, good evening, Lake Church. Let's open to Galatians chapter 2 tonight. We're going to move on. At the end, uh, I apologize if I kind of went over some stuff quickly, but I felt like, you know, we had gotten the uh, main idea of what chapter 1 was about, and I wanted to move through that last part of chapter 1 so we could move on to chapter 2. And uh, believe with me tonight, because I desire to get through this whole chapter. (laughs) What are y'all laughing about? (laughs) Man, I tell you what, they ain't right, are they? <laughs> uh, we got to speak faith. Speak those things which be not as though they were. <laughs> Amen. Well, we'll see. We'll see how it turns out. Um, I'm excited about Galatians chapter 2. You know, it really, um, the book of Galatians follows a dual theme. So there's two things that he's proving um, and those two things are that uh, we are justified by faith without works. Amen. Okay, number one, we are justified by faith without works. And the word justified means that we are declared not guilty. So we know that every person uh, has sinned and falls short of the glory of God, according to Romans chapter 3, verse 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God by their own performance. So not one person has ever been able to uh, or ever will earn right standing with God. Um, we are have all been declared guilty, but by the finished work of Jesus, our faith in what he did for us, God declares us not guilty. Okay, so that's what it means to be justified. And we are justified by faith... In what Jesus did, not what we do, uh, without any kind of works added to it. That's the first part of the theme that he's going to prove. The second part is that we are sanctified by faith without any works. This is where a lot of people get tripped up. Because we know that God's desire is that what he's done within us manifest on the outside. That it change the way that we live. But um, the source of where that comes from has to be the Spirit of God. We are not able to accomplish that in our flesh. If we were, Jesus wouldn't have had to die. Because the flesh is still fallen. And so we, by faith, walk out what he has done on the inside of us. But the problem is, is that when we begin to try to operate in works and we begin to try and earn and achieve things uh, in order to be right with God or maintain our right standing with God, we begin to operate in self-effort 
and in the flesh. And that's where we're unable, we're unable to produce the righteousness of God. Okay? And so that's what he's going to talk about. And in chapter 2, he tells two stories. And these two stories illustrate those two points. The first story in uh, Galatians chapter 2 and verses 1 through 10, I want to read that, is talking about a, uh, an incident that happened in Jerusalem where the Apostle Paul went to Jerusalem to present to uh, Peter, James, and John the gospel that he had been preaching. Now, this is uh, 14 years after... Uh, he had been there one time before, which was three years after his conversion. He went to Jerusalem. We read that in chapter 1. And he was there 15 days. And he only saw Peter, James, and John. That was it. And the point of that in chapter 1 was that he was telling that he didn't learn the gospel from any man. He received it from God. He went into the wilderness of Arabia and received the gospel message by a revelation of Jesus Christ. No man taught Paul the gospel. And so 14 years after that, he goes back to Jerusalem again because he had been on missionary journeys. He had been out preaching the gospel. People were getting saved. He was establishing churches and then going on to another city doing the same thing. So he goes to present his gospel to them. In other words, to set it before these uh, notable leaders and, you know, get their not necessarily approval, but um, to be in unity as a church. And so, let me just read there, chapter 2, verse 1 says, After 14 years I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me, which is a major point to understand because Titus was an uncircumcised Gentile. So the point of him bringing Titus along was that if Titus was accepted by the leaders at Jerusalem, then his gospel was proven to be uh, true and accurate. Because Titus was an uncircumcised Gentile, and if they didn't insist on him uh, adhering to circumcision and the keeping of the law, then it was a living testimony that God, that Paul's gospel of grace, which was already come from God, but it was accepted by the church at Jerusalem as well. So Titus being there with him was intentional. Paul wasn't doing to, you know, be antagonistic or anything like that, but he was bringing him along as a test to see if they would accept him. Okay, and it says, I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately, before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. So see, the point of circumcision, you know, we don't, the church doesn't struggle with that anymore. You know, we go, well, obviously you don't have to be circumcised to be a Christian. But what you have to understand is that circumcision was the entry to keeping the law. And, and let me say this. When you start to, uh, if you give in to any form of legalism at all, it will permeate your whole belief system. It never just is one thing. 
It always starts as one thing, and then it goes from one thing to this thing, and it just always blows up and becomes more and more. Because men, once they start uh, relating to God based on their performance, they can never stop adding to the requirements. Okay, so flip over to Acts chapter 15. This is an incident where Paul goes to Jerusalem. And what had happened, we talked about this before, is that he had gone to um, the regions of Galatia and had been preaching the gospel and um, establishing churches. And when he got back to Antioch at Syria, where he had begun, he received word that Jewish believers were following him around. And when he would leave that city, they would come in and start teaching the new converts about the law, which Paul never did. Remember, we talked about Paul's first message and how he just preached the forgiveness of sins and liberty in Christ. He said, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And everyone who believes in him is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. So there's two parts to the gospel. Forgiveness and freedom. Jesus gave himself that he might liberate us from this present evil age. He, he gave himself so we could both be forgiven and reconciled to God, but also be free from enslavement to the devil and to sin and to our flesh. So we could live in liberty, not without, not in sin, you know, freedom to sin, but freedom from sin. And that's what the gospel does when you truly understand it. It is the power of God that brings you into an experience of salvation. And when you bring the law in and a person starts earning and trying to achieve, it actually causes the flesh to have dominion over you and it causes sin to have dominion in your life. That seems so contrary to people's understanding. It's easy for an unbeliever can understand you get what you deserve. But, see, grace requires a revelation from the Holy Spirit to understand it. Because grace is you get what you don't deserve. And, man, people have such a hard time embracing the grace of God. Because the whole world system is based on this idea that you only get what you deserve. And you have to deserve what you get. Man. The mercy of God is that you don't get what you deserve because God placed that on Jesus. And then the grace of God is that you get everything that you don't deserve that he, that he got for you through his death, burial, and resurrection and seating at the right hand of God. All of the benefits, all of the promises of God, Paul said, are yes in him. Amen? <laughs> they are yes in him. So in Acts chapter 15, I want to read in verse 1. It says, Some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. See, there's trying to earn justification. So they were basically saying, yeah, you have to receive Jesus, but you can't actually be saved until you get circumcised and become a Jew. 
Well, you say, okay, well, let's go on down to verse 5. And it says, but some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and, see that? It's never one thing. It's always one thing and then another. So it says to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. There's the two themes. Just being justified by works is what they were trying to cause them to do. And also be sanctified by works, by keeping the law after that. So it wasn't a one-time thing, just the initiation. It was a lifestyle. They wanted them to live for God by trying to keep the law. And the law was never given for that to begin with. The law was never a means of salvation. The law was a mirror to show us our need for salvation. The law was the perfect standard of God that when a man tried to meet it, he would see his inability to live by the standard of God's righteousness, which is absolute perfection. Do you know if anybody was ever going to be righteous in the sight of God by works or by their performance, they had to be sinless from the day they were born to the day that they died. That's good news. You know why? You're already disqualified. So you can quit trying to qualify yourself. The problem is most believers haven't accepted that idea that they are already disqualified. And there's nothing you can do to qualify yourself to be right in the sight of God. Except believe on what Jesus did to qualify you through his perfect sacrifice. The shedding of his blood. The giving of his life as a substitute for the sins of all men for all time and he met every legal demand that the law had against mankind for sin he met it and the debt has been paid in full that's the foundation you have to start from you know that's the foundation you have to start from and not a lot of people I mean there are some There are segments of the body of Christ who are still trying to keep the law of Moses today even. You know, but in the modern, in modern uh, Christianity, you may not be trying to keep the law of Moses, but what's even crazier is people make up their own laws. See, when it says works of the law, it's just talking about performance. Based relationship with God where you're trying to earn his favor. That's what it's talking about. See, and what's really crazy is if God's law couldn't justify you and sanctify you, what makes you think laws you come up with can do it? <laughs> if there, Even Paul said that in Romans. He said, if there was a law that actually could justifies then verily righteousness would be by the law but the point is that there wasn't there wasn't a law that we could keep that would actually cause us to be able to be righteous in the sight of God why because we were our problem our problem as mankind was not our sins 
It was sin. Subtle difference. It wasn't our sins. It was sin. I'm talking about the sin nature. See, when Adam disobeyed God and committed treason against the kingdom of heaven and partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he died spiritually. He took on the nature of Satan. And every person born in mankind from that place took on this, had the same nature. So our sins are the result of sin. Our sins were just uh, the fruit of the nature that was on the inside of us. See, sinners sin. (laughs) But listen, here's the thing. If you could have stopped sinning at at some point in your life, if you could stop sinning from then until the end of your life, it wouldn't change your nature. The problem wasn't sins, it was sin. And the only remedy for the sin nature was that we would have... See, because the law demanded death for sin. And Jesus met the law's demand. Oh, man. (laughs) That's good news. The law said the soul that sinneth must die. So the law prescribed death for sin. The only problem was for you to die for your sin, there wouldn't be any redemptive value in it. You'd just be getting what you deserved. That's why a, an innocent substitute had to be offered in our place so there would be a redemptive value to that sacrifice. And Jesus met what the law demanded, which was death for sin. He took our sin on Himself on the tree. He bore the punishment for it. He was buried, but then on the third day, God raised Him from the dead so that now we can live unto God. We can receive the same resurrection life and the same nature of God that Jesus has now. It is given and imparted to His entire body, every believer. The places their trust in Him is born of God and receives the nature of God. Oh man, now we can begin to live. We can begin to truly live the life of God's design. But we don't do it just by trying to keep all the do's and the don'ts. (laughs) That's not faith. It says in Romans 1, the just shall live by faith. Faith in what? Faith in what? Faith in the new creation person that He made you through the new birth, through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Beginning to believe what God has declared about you as a believer and beginning to walk that out in your life from faith. Man. The very reason, the very uh, fact that people are trying to earn righteousness proves they don't believe they've received righteousness. And the only way you can receive something is you got to quit trying to achieve it. It's a gift. It's a gift, not of works, 
lest any man should boast. Listen, if there is one thing we do in order to make ourselves or maintain ourselves as righteous in the sight of God, then we could boast about it. But no man is going to boast. It's all about the goodness of God. Man, I was thinking about this scripture in Ephesians 2 where it says, I was sharing this on uh, Monday night, TBC. It says that God, you know, made us alive together with Christ. We were dead. We were alive physically, but we were dead spiritually. And it says he made us alive together with Christ. Raised us up together with him. And made us sit together with him in heavenly places. And you know what? It says, so that. So that. And that phrase right there. So that in the ages to come. Oh man. He might show forth the riches of his grace. In his kindness toward us. In Christ Jesus. God's going to brag for the rest of the ages to come about how kind he was to undeserving, ungodly sinners through sending Jesus to die and do for us what we could never do for ourselves. He's going to point to it. He's going to tell the devil, look at this. Look what I did for these people, even though they didn't deserve it. Look at my kindness toward humanity who had rebelled and rejected me. Look how I, he's going to show forth the superiority of his nature, his character, his goodness. Oh, man. You want to know where your motivation to live for God's going to come from? That's where it's going to come from. That's where it's going to come from. Not some fear of not meeting obligations. Not some fear of debt. It's going to come from thankfulness and gratefulness for the love and the kindness and the grace and the goodness of God that he's shown forth through Jesus coming and dying on our place and being raised from the dead. That's where it comes from. It's service motivated by love and gratefulness that God's looking for. Because listen, if I'm trying to do stuff to cause God to respond to me, I'm trying to put God in debt to me. That's why legalism is so bad. It's people trying to put God in debt to them. Do stuff that it will cause him to have to respond. So in... Uh, Acts 15, I think I've got that here. Let me let's see if I've got it. Some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders were gathered together to consider this matter. So there was such a dispute among Paul and these Jewish believers about the law out on the mission field that they took it to Jerusalem so they could set it before Peter, James, and John and see what they would have to say about it. And in verse 7 it says, And after there had been much debate, well, I would like to have heard that. (laughs) Wouldn't you love to have been a fly on the wall and heard that go down? Peter, James, John, Paul, Barnabas discussing and debating over the uh, 
gospel of Jesus Christ and whether or not we're obligated to keep law and perform in order to be right with God. That would have been awesome. I'd love to hear that. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. You know, Peter, you remember the story. He was uh, praying and God gave, gave him a vision. You know, the Jews were so... Uh, blinded to the fact that God wanted to reach the Gentiles. And, and all through the Old Testament, it talks about how Israel was chosen to take the gospel to the world. Abraham, you know, uh, Jorge was talking about Abraham in the offering. You know, the promised son wasn't actually Isaac. It was Jesus. Isaac <laughs> Isaac was the promised son that created a, a, a line, a lineage, but the ultimate son that was promised was Jesus. Oh, man. So it's all about him. It's all about him. And Peter, God had to give him a vision to show him that he shouldn't call Gentiles unclean anymore. He, should, he let down that sheet that had all these animals that weren't kosher. God said, kill and eat. He said, Lord, no. Nothing unclean's ever crossed these lips. And he didn't get it. In fact, God had to show it to him three times before he got it. <laughs> you know how hard-headed, how hard-headed are we sometimes? I mean... You'd think God showed it to you once in a vision, an open vision like that, you could get it. No, he had to see it three times before he finally went, oh, wait a minute. He's not talking about food. God said, there's some men coming. They're going to call you to come with them. They're going to take you, and you're going to speak the words of life to someone who I've already talked to. You know, at the same time, an angel was appearing to a man named Cornelius, and he had told him to, or not at the same time, but he had sent men there to get Peter because God told him to through an angel. So when Peter shows up, Peter's like, I tell you what, I perceive now God is no respecter of persons. He had been wrong. He thought the Jews were it. He said, now that I'm here and I'm looking at this gathering of Gentiles, and I realized God wants me to preach the gospel to them. This is the first ones. He said, man, I perceive now God is no respecter of persons. But anyone who does what he requires receives eternal life. He started preaching about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. This is in Acts chapter 10. And it was so amazing. I was reading that. And you know what he says? He says, let it be known to you that through this man is preached the forgiveness of sins. And bam, the Holy Spirit fell on these people. And they began to speak with other tongues. You know what? The Holy Spirit interrupted his sermon. Can you imagine that? Soon as they heard about the, forgive, the free gift of the forgiveness of sins, the Holy Spirit fell on them. Why? Their hearts were cleansed by faith. They didn't do anything. You know, they didn't even observe water baptism. <laughs> you know what Peter said? <laughs> 
seeing that God has given us, given them the gift of the Holy Spirit just like he did us, how can we not let them be water baptized? And you know, God had to do it that way because they were so stuck in their legalistic thinking that they wouldn't have accepted. In fact, when Peter got back and the Jewish believers at Jerusalem heard, they reprimanded him. They did. They called him in. They said, what do you mean going to unclean Gentiles? And he told them the story. He said, man, I was just preaching. And the Holy Spirit fell on them just like he did on us. By a sovereign act. They didn't do anything to get it. But they heard, hearing with faith. They heard the gospel. They believed And with the heart, man believes unto righteousness. (laughs) And when you're right, when you have received the righteousness of God, then you are cleansed of your sin and the Holy Spirit can come and fill the temple, which is your body. Do you realize your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? (laughs) And so... Peter was telling, he said, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. It's so simple. We complicate it. Oh man, we we think we got to put all this stuff in front of people or they can't walk it right. We were meant to live by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And he's more than capable of causing people to stand and live and walk in the uh, life that God designed for them. In fact, when we get involved and we try to be the Holy Spirit for people, we mess them up. (laughs) He says, God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Man, I tell you what, I remember when I got saved. You know, I wasn't at a church. I didn't, uh, I didn't, people are laughing. I wasn't at a church service. There wasn't an altar call that I was invited to come forward I'd heard somebody just tell the simple gospel, and it just hit my heart. I believed. And, you know, right then, my heart was cleansed, and God knows the heart. People might not be able to see it yet, but God sees our hearts. When you believe, your heart is cleansed, and God gives you the Holy Spirit. Look at what he says in verse 10. This is where it gets serious. So this is still in this council meeting. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test? Come on. Mm. Let me read that again. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? You know, we read in uh, Galatians chapter 1 that Paul said... That anyone, whether him, someone else, 
or an angel preach any other gospel than the one they had received, what did Paul do? He called for a divine curse to be placed upon that person. Why? Because Peter said right here, you are putting God to the test. Oh, my goodness. By placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. What was the yoke? It was the yoke of earning, of attaining and maintaining your own righteousness by your performance. That's what he's talking about. He said, we've tried it for thousands of years. We haven't been able to do it. Look at this. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ just as they will. Man, I find it interesting because you'd think he would say it differently. You'd say, you'd think he would say, they'll be saved the same way that we are. Mm, no, he said, we believe we will be saved the same way that they are. I don't think you caught that. He said, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. See, what the Jews were trying to do is they were trying to bring the Gentiles in and make them do what they had been doing. And God was trying to deliver them out of that. He was trying to deliver them out of that. So, um, let me go back to Galatians chapter 2. And in verse uh, 3, it said, But even Titus, who was with us at this council meeting, was not even forced to be circumcised. So they didn't even, they, they listened to Paul's, you know, recommend, you know, his preaching of the gospel. And they came to a consensus that Titus didn't need to do anything other than he had believed. They, they recognized him as a brother without him having to be circumcised or keep the law. He says in verse 4, Yet, because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery. See, that's what legalism does. It puts you in bondage. It's that yoke that Peter was talking about that they nor their fathers had been able to bear. Why? No man can earn right standing with God. No man can earn God's favor. We can't be good enough. Man, this hinders people so much because they find themselves in a place where they need to be able to receive healing or they need some kind of deliverance. And if they have a legalistic mindset, they start running down a checklist of everything they've done and they haven't done. To try and qualify themselves. They're trying to hope they can do enough things and hope they're not doing enough things wrong. That they can earn a healing or they can earn deliverance from God. And, you know, people will say things like, they'll come up in a healing line and they'll say, I don't know why God hadn't healed me yet. 
man, I go to church all the time. I pray. I read the word. You know, I do this. I do that. And that's exactly why they're not receiving because they're trying to earn it by what they do rather than receiving it on the basis of what Jesus has done. Why are my, their minds are are in bondage to legalism, to where they think they have to perform in order to receive from God. But no man receives by earning it. We receive it by a free gift of the grace of God by faith. When we simply hear the gospel declaration that we are saved, which means we are forgiven, we are healed, we are delivered, we are made whole by faith in what Jesus has done, you can receive any miracle. In fact, the greatest miracle of all is to be translated from death unto life, to be born of God. And you receive that without doing one single thing to earn it. (laughs) Man, you know, Colossians chapter two, verse six says this, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. The same way you received Jesus is how you walk in him. By faith in the grace of God. God's grace is revealed through his word. It tells us what Jesus provided for us through his death, burial, and resurrection. That's the grace of God. The grace of God is what God provided for us through the finished work of Jesus. Independent of us. You know, God didn't even ask your permission to do it. I love that. Before I was ever born, Jesus already bore my sin on the cross. Before I ever sinned one time, the payment for all of my sin had already been made. Before I was even a thought in my parents' mind, before they were on this earth, Jesus already went to the cross. He already shed his blood. He already ascended in heaven. He already offered his life on the mercy seat on my behalf. So here's what you got to get. Jesus didn't die for all of us. He died for each of us. Mm. He didn't die for all of us. He died for each one of us. And you personally have to embrace what he has done for you as an individual, independent of yourself, independent of your performance. He did it by grace before you ever did anything good or bad. Mm. I tell you what, if you listen to this, you'll get free. You'll live holier by accident than you ever did on purpose. (laughs) I can promise you that because I tried it before. I know that by experience. I remember there was a time in my life. Um, you know, I was having, you know, a lot of people do this. They, they have trouble in their marriage. They have trouble in life. They think, oh, I should go to church. That'll fix everything. (laughs) I did that. I remember a time in my life, me and this was my first wife said, we need to, we should probably go to church. Now I didn't have a conversion experience. I didn't hear the gospel and believe that I was forgiven and righteous. I started trying to do all the stuff. That's what I did. I quit smoking the weed. I quit drinking the alcohol. I quit going to the parties. I started doing all that stuff. 
Joe looking at me funny. And I tried to just, I tried to just do it. I listened to what they said. I tried to not do these certain things. I tried to do all these certain things and just go to church and, you know, all that kind of stuff. There's no power in that in and of itself. It wasn't long. I was burdened down with it. It didn't, there was no life in it. I wasn't receiving life from it. I went right back. I went right back. Because I, all I heard was how to earn. Actually, what I heard was, if you'll live right, you can go to heaven. Come on. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> and um, when I finally heard the true gospel, man, it transformed my life. I... I was so overwhelmed by the goodness of God because I didn't even like me. I couldn't imagine that God, <laughs> I didn't even like myself at all. I mean, I was trying to slowly kill myself. That's what people do, you know. They're trying to slowly kill themselves and kill the pain, you know. I didn't even like myself. I sure didn't have any confidence that I was a good person in any kind of way. I was confronted with just how depraved I was. And then I heard the good news. And I'm telling you what, the goodness of God overwhelmed my heart. It captured my heart. He captured my heart with his goodness. I found out that God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And much more now. Oh man, once you receive him, God has much more love. I thought I had to earn his love. I thought he loved me proportional to my performance. I know there's a lot of people that believe that. You may not say it, but I know that in the way that you respond or you react or interact with God, you believe that he loves you proportional to your performance. But he loved you before. Then when you choose Jesus, it says he loves you much more. If <laughs> Come on now. And you know, religion does it backwards. Oh, well, yes, God loves you independent of your actions when you're a sinner. But boy, once you come in, now you better really straighten up and fly right. <laughs> oh, come on now. So these, secret, these brothers had secretly come in to try and spy out the freedom that they had in Christ so that they might bring them into slavery. I love Paul's response here. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Paul was unyielding and unsubmissive to these people and it wasn't in pride. It was in preservation he was contending for the integrity of the message of God for generations to come. And aren't you glad that he contended for the gospel so that you could get 
the pure and unadulterated word of truth, which is the gospel of your salvation. Aren't you glad that he didn't just give in to these people? Because he was tempted to. Trust me, it was a very big temptation for him to just give in and compromise a little bit with these guys. Oh, but no, he would not. He said, we didn't yield to them even for a moment. Man, I love that. He says, and from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. Man, I tell you what, that's powerful stuff. Remember I told you that first week that if you're going to preach the gospel, you have got to be free from seeking the approval of men because that's where the temptation to compromise is going to come from. It's going to come from trying to be accepted and approved by men who believe something different. And if you preach the true gospel, the enemy is going to put a target on your back. And it can come from the closest people to you that will try to target you, uh, to try and discourage you and tempt you to compromise. Because the devil knows Romans 1.16. Do you? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. You tell me, the devil knows that verse. He's got to dilute the gospel because, listen, when you add to the gospel, you've diluted it. It's kind of like acid. You know, when you add a little water to it, it weakens it. It dilutes it. That's the way the gospel is. You got the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. You mix a little works in it, you've just diluted the power of it. In fact, you want to see miracles, signs, and wonders stop? Start preaching legalism. Mm. That's right. Why? Because God confirms the gospel with signs following. You add, you add legalism to it, he's not going to confirm that. Mm. From those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. Listen, Paul wasn't being dishonoring. He was just making a statement. God doesn't. God is no uh, respecter of persons. In fact, James calls partiality a sin because it's us trying to manipulate the situation through people we think can get us where we want to go. <laughs> I'm going to say that again. James calls partiality a sin. If you prefer people on the basis of what you think they can do for you to get you where you want to go, that's a sin. That's why he says, don't have uh, the rich man give him the good place to sit and set the poor man back in the back. That was happening in the church of Jerusalem. Why? They weren't believing God. They were in the flesh trying to work out things in their own favor. But Paul was saying what uh, Peter, James, and John were really made no difference to him in the sense that he wasn't going to compromise in order to be accepted in the, what you might call the in crowd. Because they were the movers and shakers in Jerusalem. They were the top dogs in the church there. And what if they had said, well, now we don't agree. We think Paul would have done. He said, not for a moment did we give in. 
We didn't submit to it for a moment. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. What was he saying? He was saying they didn't add anything to what I was preaching. They didn't say, oh, you need to tell them this or you need to tell them that. No, he said they added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James... And this is Peter and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me. They gave me the right hand of fellowship. Or they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So the right hand of fellowship was they accepted them as partners in the gospel. They didn't try to add anything to the message that Paul was preaching Only they asked us to remember the poor, which was the very thing I was already eager to do. So this council meeting that they went to and presented the gospel, they got the stamp of approval from the church at Jerusalem, which was basically the hub, okay? And so they got the right hand of fellowship. They were uh, recognized as partners in the ministry and, uh, you know, Their ministry was validated by Peter, James, and John. Now, the second uh, illustration that he uses is another uh, incident that happens. But this happens at Antioch. So, the Jerusalem church had heard about the church at Antioch. They had heard about how they had received the gospel. And so, they decided to send some people down there to check it out. So, Peter goes down there. So, let's look at this. Real quick, see if I can find it here. When Peter came to Antioch, Paul says, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Now, this story is going to illustrate the second theme, which is that we are not sanctified or we're not made spiritual by keeping the law after we've already been saved. That's what he's going to show. And, and Paul confronts Peter in front of everybody. So this would be like <laughs> Pastor Greg pulling somebody up here in front of the whole church. <laughs> and uh, don't laugh. <laughs> and uh, opposing them right in front of everybody. This is what happened. Paul did this to Peter. Because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, talking about at Jerusalem, he was eating with the Gentiles. So Peter, he got down there to Antioch. Man, it was revival. The grace of God was being preached. Miracles, signs, and wonders were happening. The house was filled with love and joy and unity. And man, I know Peter was like, this is awesome. I am loving this. And he stayed longer than he was supposed to. So they sent some more people to find out what happened to him. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. So he was eating with them. 
And you know what? The Gentiles didn't eat kosher. They were probably eating bacon and lobster and all. Man, everybody's raising their hands back there now. Glory. The candy of meats. He got introduced to something he'd never had before. But when these people came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. (laughs) That's what they called them. Here's a bad thing. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray astray by their hypocrisy. That's what's crazy. Peter led everybody else astray as well. Even Barnabas. Think about this. The great apostle Peter. He got... He compromised. Oh, man. And we think, oh, we're beyond that. Mm. Peter walked on water, guys. (laughs) Peter... The one who preached uh, in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And 3,000 people got saved at his preaching. (laughs) Think about it, man. I never preached that 3,000 people got saved. (laughs) Peter preached the first message. 3,000 people got saved. You talk about a baptizing. Then he preached not long after that, 5,000 got saved. Man, you talk about he was, he was moving and shaking with the gospel. We're talking about Peter and Barnabas. Man, Barnabas was a great man of God who traveled with Peter, um, traveled with Paul. Man, they went into these places where no one heard the gospel before. Think about that. Going to a place... And especially back then, man, it wasn't modern times. They're going into these places that were filled with idolatry and paganism and all of this stuff. And they go and they're preaching the gospel and people are getting saved. And it's revival and miracles and signs and wonders. And Barnabas, he got dragged into it as well. But it was out of fear. It was out of the fear of man that Peter compromised the truths of the gospel. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Paul says, but when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, this this is amazing, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, And not like a Jew. How can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Peter had been liberated. He wasn't living like a Jew anymore. He wasn't following the law. He was eating the bacon and the lobster with the Gentiles and enjoying himself. He was was free. But yet, out of fear, he compromised the integrity of the word of God. And caused other people to be dragged. And it caused, what was the problem with it? It caused a division in the church. Because these times where they ate together wasn't just a meal. They also partook of communion at these meals. This was spiritual. 
At these meals, they were called love feasts. The church came together. You know what we call them here in the Bible Belt? Potlucks. (laughs) And let me tell you, growing up around the church, I know this. Church folk love to eat. But back in those days, when they had these meals, it was spiritual. It was about unity. They ate together, then they partook of the communion. So when Peter separated, there was a division. And that's what legalism does. Mm. It causes division among the brethren. Because legalism fosters these attitudes. Comparison, which leads to competition. Which leads to criticism. It always brings about division. Because when you're trying to perform, you have to have someone else to compare yourself to. And someone else to compete with. And when you start that process, you get critical of one another. So the problem was, Paul saw that Peter's hypocrisy caused a split and a division in the church. And you had the Jewish believers on one side, and you had the Gentile believers on the other And the most important thing in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is that we be unified. In fact, that's what the Lord's table is really all about. It's about unity. It's about us recognizing that we partake of the same bread. And that because we partake of the same bread, we are all one bread. That we are the body of Christ on the earth. And members in particular. We should never let anything come between us to where there's a schism or a split or a division among the body of Christ. And that's what this was causing. It was causing a division. And it was all out of Peter's fear that he was going to be shunned or looked down on by these other leaders that he was willing to compromise. And uh, Paul said, how can you? You know what this makes me think of? A phrase that's gotten real popular here lately because of government, but it's rules for thee, but not for me. (laughs) That's what the hypocrisy is that he's talking about. Rules for thee, but not for me. And that's the way legalism works. It's always rules for thee and not for me. You remember in the first week, I read to you out of Galatians chapter 6, where Paul said this, he said, For even those, this is verse 13, who are circumcised do not keep the law themselves. They may want you to. See, that's what legalism does. It's, you need to be doing this, 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 and this, but yet they're not doing. Come on. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. <laughs> Who are you to judge another man's servant? For he's able to make, he is able to make him stand. Man, I don't know if you're hearing my heart tonight and what I'm trying to communicate to you. But, you know, the Apostle Paul, you know, because I'm running out of time, You know, um, the Apostle Paul, because of his desire to keep the integrity of the gospel message, was willing to put himself on the line and confront compromise in regard to the gospel message. 
And you know, if I'm going to be known for anything in this life, I've thought about this. If I, because people will fight you over all kinds of stuff. People will fight for politics. They'll fight over their team losing Bedlam. Uh, listen, don't get me wrong. That hurt. <laughs> My dad's back there. He raised me up an Oklahoma Sooner football fan from the time I was a little bitty kid. And I love watching Oklahoma football. That's my, that's my guilty pleasure, I guess. But, and that hurt. That hurt. But people will fight you over that. They'll fight you over their politics. But if I'm going to be known for fighting over something, I want to be known for fighting for the integrity of the word of truth, which is the gospel message that is the power of God unto salvation. When I die, I want people to say, he stood for the integrity of the gospel message so that it might be kept pure for the next generation to come. That they might be able to understand and perceive the goodness of God and his kindness toward men. That he came and he died. He offered himself so that ungodly sinners who were helpless and separated from God could be reconciled again back to the Father. Not by works, but by faith in the work of Jesus Christ. That's what I want to be known for. I'm a gospel junkie. I told you that. (laughs) Why? Because that, as you have received Christ, therefore walk in him. I can't get away from it. You know, when you find something that works, insanity would be changing it. <laughs> I found what worked. You're looking at a man who was bound by drugs and alcohol and criminal behavior and religion didn't fix it. The gospel of Jesus Christ broke the bonds, broke off the chains. And released me into a life I never could have dreamed of. I found what worked. Why would you change up? Why would you change up? I guarantee you, you know, anybody who's been saved, you didn't get saved because you were doing everything right. And right, right behaving comes from right living. If you would begin to believe what God has said about you as a believer, man, it will empower you to begin to walk in newness of life. You'll want to. See, that's the difference between a true believer and one who's not, is they've received a new heart. See, we think people, you know, trying to figure out how to shut it down. But when someone gets born again, they get a new heart. God said this through Ezekiel the prophet. He said, I'm going to give you a new heart. You know what that means? He's going to give you a new desire. When you actually get born again, you want to live for God. That's what the new creation man is. He, He gives you a brand new heart, a new nature. Okay? But he didn't just say that. He said he'd give you a new heart. He'd take the old stony heart out of you and put a heart of flesh in its place. Then he said, I'm going to give you a new spirit. He said, 
In fact, he said, I'm going to put my spirit in you. Oh, oh come on now. You, you know what that is? The ability to live for God. So he gives you the desire and he gives you the ability to begin to live the life that he planned for you from before the foundation of the world. Come on, somebody. If you don't get excited about that, I ain't got nothing else for you. God had a plan for your life before the foundation of the world. And it's not a plan you can live by the strength of your own flesh. Your own self-effort isn't good enough. No, it's a supernatural life that can only be accomplished through His Spirit living in and living through you. You can't even know what it is except the Spirit leads you into it. Why? So that God gets all of the glory for it and we take none. The Holy Spirit. Oh, y'all are, y'all are doing this. Man, you know what Jesus said? The Holy Spirit doesn't glorify Himself. He glorifies Jesus. Trying to perform glorifies you. That's why people want to do it. <laughs> oh, goodness. Say, I love Pastor Kevin. I need to hear it. <laughs> I love you too, brother. It, uh, see, all the glory is going to go to him. You know, in Revelation chapter, or is it four or five? I can't remember which one left me. Where they take their crowns. Their rewards, the things that happen through their life, the rewards that we get. That's what's crazy, man. Think about that. God is so good that he gives you a new heart, puts a new spirit in you, leads you into his plan and accomplishes it through you. And then you're going to stand before Jesus and he's going to reward you for it. And you know why? So you can take your crown and cast it at His feet and cry, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And we'll be glorifying Him from ages and ages for eternity and worshiping Him for what He has done. It's not going to be about what we've done. I promise you, people aren't going to go, You know, I did get my uh, button for not missing one church service. <laughs> All right, I'm going to quit messing. I'm going to quit messing. <laughs> I'm not telling you not to come to church. I'm telling you, come for the right reason. <laughs> oh, I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> but he's not going to say, oh, you are so great. You prayed an hour a day. I'm sure he's very impressed by that. <laughs> oh, man. God is so good. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we just give you praise tonight. I just thank you, Lord, that your truth, that it just rests upon the hearts of your people, Lord, and just inspire them, Father God. To believe you for more in their life. Man, I pray that your goodness becomes so real to us that we dare to believe 
that we dare to believe you for the unbelievable. That we're so confident because of what you've already done for us that we realize that you are able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than anything we could ever ask or imagine. That our faith in you would take the limits off of you, Father God, so that you can show yourself mighty. Oh, you're looking to and fro for someone that you might show yourself mighty through. I just see this... uh, confidence i just see right now i just see this confidence you know coming on people right now and i can see it in your faces that you're like wow see because god doesn't need your ability he needs your all he needs is your availability Amen. <laughs> And you got to just be confident to know that he is, he's the one who's able to do exceedingly and abundantly more. Think about this. He says exceedingly and abundantly more than you could ask or even imagine. Wow, I can imagine a lot. <laughs> Hallelujah. Father, I pray that as they go home tonight and lay down in their bed, that they have visions and dreams. God-given, that they get a glimpse of what you're desiring to do through their life, that they see a vision for something that's beyond themselves, bigger than them, that you might be glorified by accomplishing that through their life for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. I've kept you too long already. God bless you. You're dismissed.